Welcome to Brave. Be inspired by the best leaders of Southeast Asia tech. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. I'm Jeremy Ao, a VC founder and father. Join us for transcripts, analysis, and community at www.jeremyao.com. Hey, Anna. I'm so excited to have you. We've been long friends. And I think that you have written an amazing book on Founder to PM. I'd love to hear you plug it, especially your journey. And I think that would be really helpful for a lot of founders who obviously are part of the 39 out of 40, right? Who achieve some level of different outcome from that being a unicorn. So love to hear from your story. Awesome. I'm so happy to be here today, Jeremy. Thank you for inviting me to the show. Really quick intro. I'm Hannah. I'm the author of a book called Founder to PM, and I'm also a product consultant. And I'm mainly here today because I want to share with you my journey from transitioning from being a founder to a product manager. Prior to my current role, I worked as a product manager at Oscar Health, which just went public last year. Um, I'd love to just share some insights about how to make this transition because when I was shifting my business to a side business from working on a full-time, I needed to get a job at ASAP, but I couldn't find any resources on this topic, which is so odd because most startups end up failing and a lot of startup founders make for really good product managers. So I didn't find any resources. I decided to share my learning so that people can learn from my experiences. Amazing. I guess the first question I have is we kind of quasi knew each other all the way back in undergrad days a little bit. How did you go from undergrad to saying, I want to be a founder? And you share your story, and I, re- I also remember talking to you a little bit about that as well. But how did you become a founder? What was your initial motivation? That's a great, great question. I think first, I have always been someone who took a lot of initiatives and have ideas in my head, and I want to build a project. So in college, I founded a club, I applied for a grant, which led me to go to India to start a program. But my first gig out of college was actually a management consultant at Deloitte Consulting. And I think what happened was I was in the Bay Area and I was just surrounded by a lot of people building businesses. And I would go to events and meet friends of friends and ask them what they're doing. And they're like, I'm building a business. And I was like, what? This is an option. I just met people and started going to hackathons with them and started working on stuff on the side. And through getting to know these type of people and knowing that I, I like creating things and I, I have always been creating things since college, I just thought, okay, you know, it would be really cool to take a shot at this and, and build a, a social enterprise. I was particularly interested in social good businesses. I, I double majored in develop, international development and business. So it's like, I, I'm interested in taking a shot, shot to see if I can do it too. And I remember how excited you were because we were brainstorming that and obviously with different approaches and so, so forth because I had been a social entrepreneur, then building a startup and we were discussing at that time. And I remember kind of like discussing with you and we were just kind of discussing what the reality, the economics, the dynamics of the business and I kept checking in. Talk us through about what the experience was like as a founder. So obviously there's a quick transition between consulting to, and then of course, seeing it from the outside in the Silicon Valley to being a founder yourself and eventually kind of transition to say like, this isn't it, but walk us through how that founder experience was at that point of time when you're full-time. Yeah, it was, it was really hard and, and it, it was a step-by-step process. 
I think many of you know, consulting is a very grueling job. It's, it's really hard to have a side project. So, and I was, I had a side project, but I, at one point I knew like, okay, I need to give myself more time. So what I first did was I took a contracting gig, which was like nine to five. It actually ended at five, not like consulting that went past five. So the first step was, was I gave myself more time. I did contracting and then from contract, I contracted for a year and then I went full-time on my business. I think being full-time in your business, it's the hard part is that the moment you go full-time and if you haven't raised any funds, the start, the clock starts ticking on your runway. If you haven't found product market fit or your revenue isn't really in place, you become a little bit stressed. Like, okay, what can I do so that people start paying? That part was stressful. And I feel like in a way, sometimes you become a little less creative because you're just trying to figure out what sticks versus when you hold a job or if you raise money, maybe you have a little bit more breathing room to be more creative and whatnot. So being full-time, one was definitely stressful. Clock starts ticking. But I also loved it because I had full-time to create and ideate and work with people. And the highs are much higher, the lows are much, much lower. If you get a win, like we landed a big deal, like with a business, a customer, like that felt so good because you did the work to do that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And how did you decide that it was time to no longer be full-time, that it was time to kind of like put the share away in a different status and start exploring new opportunities? I think what happened was my co-founder and I learned about how investors like to invest in like business with like billion dollar potential. This was our first gig. So like we didn't realize like that was like a very important aspect of raising. And, and we just decided that like, we're not the type of company that's on that billion dollar track and want to raise a, a ton of VC funding. And we realized like we're very interested in building a really good lean high margin lifestyle business. So, and we were also coming out of at the end of our runway. So like at that point we had to decide, okay, do we want to raise or do we want not to want to not raise? And based on our personal goals, we decided that the lifestyle path makes the most sense for us. So that, so that's why, why we decided to get a job. How do you feel like emotionally to go through that process? Because many founders are always in that period, obviously now it feels clearer when you say it in hindsight. But at that point of time, it's a very difficult decision, right? So how was that emotionally discussed that or to think through those parameters? It was really hard. I mean, I had such a big vision for it. And I think realizing that's what we want for both of us, I had to kind of like scale back my vision for what it could be. And I had put so much into it. So, so it's more like the realization, this is not going to be what I imagined it to be, was really hard. And it was a period of two weeks, I was like really sad every day. I like was crying, but then like knowing that this is the right, right path for us. It, it was tough. Why is it tough? I mean, if I wanted to leave a job at X company to join another company, you wouldn't feel tough. I would be like, okay, you know, my boss sucked, right? <laughs> or that job is going to pay me better. From your perspective, why is it tough for a founder to have that decision, right? Yeah, it's tough because you put so much of yourself into it and you made sacrifices. Two years I was doing this full time. I, I didn't go to some of my friends' weddings. I would literally didn't have an income for like two years, like very little income. So I, I made a lot of sacrifices and realizing that it might not be what you envision it to be is also a bummer. Like the reason I did this was like, if I didn't do it, this wouldn't exist in the world. And 
knowing that it's not going to exist to the extent that you want it to be was also like, Ooh, like, I wish I could take it there fully. I think you just, you just own it so much. It's kind of like your baby versus working at a company. You probably don't, aren't as attached to it. How did you go about thinking through that process? Because it's not an easy discussion to have with anyone. I mean, I don't think too many people around the world or in your friend circle knew exactly what you were going through either. So how did you go about making that decision? Did you talk to people? Was it more of an individual process? How was that process like? The decision mostly came from discussions with my co-founder. So... And I think if you have a co-founder, that's probably a, a joint decision versus like consulting a, a bunch of friends. You may each consult friends individually, but if you have co-founders, this decision was probably made together. So after it was made, of course, I was really sad. And then I, I, I talked to my close friends about it, you know, like, this is how I feel, but this feels like the right thing to do. So it wasn't, it, I wasn't really talking to them to help me make a decision. It was more talking to them to vent and to feel comforted that the next step is going to be great. But the things that friends do, you, do for you when, when you're sad about things. As you were thinking through that aspect of it, was it important for you to know what your next thing was going to be? Or did you not know what the next thing was going to be in terms of career or the next phase? Yeah. Yeah. So I knew I had to get a job and I had a hunch what it would be from knowing the, the types of roles my friends have had in the tech space. So the Shareway is a tech product. So, so I had a hunch, but I wouldn't say like I nailed it. Like this is it. Even when I was looking at, I still looked at like a couple different types of roles, but that transition had to happen quickly. Cause the, the reason we shifted was that we were running out of runway. So we had like a couple, like maybe two to three months to nail the next thing. So I feel like once I finished my grieving period, I had to move really quickly to like, okay, I need to figure out what I want to do next, prepare for it, apply, interview. The thing I, I decided to do was to become a product manager, mainly because of all the things I did at the Shareway. I, I love talking to users the most, figuring out what they need like building something and then showing it to them and seeing that like aha moment in their eyes. That was like my favorite part. I learned that in, in a tech or company, like that's typically what the product managers do, talking to users, figuring out what they need. In that aspect, okay, so that's an interesting dynamic because obviously there's the tackle how to be a PM role. There's the choosing to be a PM, which is a little bit earlier before that. But you said an interesting phrase, which is you need to get through the grieving process as fast as possible. <laughs> so what does it mean to grieve a startup? And what does it mean to get through it as quickly as possible from the dynamic? Yeah. <laughs> kind of like time boxing it. It's September. I need to get a job at the end of December because that's what my runway looks like. I feel really shitty, really sad right now. And let me just like take it all in and digest it for the next one week or two weeks. But when that time is up, I have to get going because there's a very realistic like timeline to where I need to be in a couple of months. Right. How did you grieve or how have you seen other founders grieve? What does that process look like from your perspective? The thing is, I don't think a lot of founders share that, that aspect. So I actually haven't heard too many stories of other founders grieving. And I, I think it's not shared very often. I can tell you how I went through it. Like I was crying almost every day. It's like a part like crying, part confusion. Like, what do I do next? So I would like 
cry and I would journal and I would talk to friends like this is what I'm thinking does it make sense and then go back to journaling again I think it's different for everybody it's like whatever process you you go through when there's like a really big some shift in your life whether it's like maybe you like got let go and you have to figure out your next steps or like someone says something that made you realize you're off track or like you're not on the right track it's like a little bit existential and also a little bit like sad about the ending of like a chapter how does that process happen from your perspective in terms of getting to the next chapter i guess because it's interesting right you say like you're time boxing it but you're to get pushed to the next chapter you're doing the journaling and then you're also doing career such at the same time, which makes it very difficult. I think nobody does that in senior year, right? Senior year, you're just doing a career search in a very uh, excited slash nostalgic way. But there's that time compression that's also happening as a founder. So how does that, from your perspective, look like? I think the main thing is is coming to terms of this is the next, whatever, like figuring out what the next thing is for you and coming to terms like this is what's going to look like this point onward. I don't think you just like, you just stop working on the startup. There's still stuff that I was like handling for a few months onwards. But instead of spending 40 hours a week on, on it, I'm now doing 30, 20, 10, you know, it's like slowly reducing. But that moment when, for that shift, though, that like one, two or three week period, right? When things feel like a mess, like, I feel like the key is like coming to terms and deciding, okay, this is the right thing to do. And it's time for me to move on. Once you made that decision, you, it's not like you just stop working on your startup. Like you, you might still have to close some loops or maybe you're, you're shifting it to a side business, right? So it's not fully, like that's what we do. It wasn't fully shut down. It was just moving much slower. I think coming to terms and once you decided that this is it, then creating like the next steps and the action items. Like, okay, how do I get this gig that I want? Once I decided it was like go mode. I think all the founders out there understand like what go mode means. Like you know exactly what you need to do and how to get there and use your grid and hustle. Do you ever feel like settling to you? That's why one thing I've heard from other founders is just like after you've been a founder, it feels like you're settling to be an ex, a PM, to be something. So what does that look like for you from your perspective? Yeah. I didn't feel like I was settling because I feel like it's not that easy to get a PM gig, right? Like like the friends I know who are PMs, these are like super legit people. So I, so I knew like, okay, how do I get in? How do I break into this? And I also feel like I, I was ex- looking forward to and excited for the learning that this role will give me because how I learned PM was through books and talking to people in trial and error. This was an opportunity for me to learn it from someone at a company. So I was very excited for the learning opportunities for that. I feel like once I got over the the sad part, I was like looking forward to like, okay, it would be nice to have a job and have some income and like go out to a lot more dinners with friends and just feeling like a little bit more relaxed. How did you go about looking at all of the different career opportunities? So you hadn't been a PM before and now you were exploring PM as one of those hunches, but what was the range of career opportunities that you saw? You could have become a consultant again, right? You could, I don't know, join an incubator, for example. And there's so many different roles that are available. How did you triangulate and say, PM is the quasi-ish kind of role that works well? Yeah, so like, I think the stuff I looked at was PM, and then there's like stuff that lends itself well to ex-consultants, which could be like program manager at tech companies or like you're on a strategy and operations team of Uber or or something. And then there are like 
market research roles in like social impact, like companies, businesses, nonprofits. I looked at all of these and I think at the end of the day, it's like, I like building products and I really enjoy pulling together a team to, to build something. And because I like that so much, I felt like PM was the best fit for me. But in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, can I make it? If I get rejected and I can't get hired, maybe I have to go to, to these ex-consultant type of roles, right? But I decided to, to give myself that shot at like trying to become a PM. I remember kind of like catching up with you and you said that actually becoming a PM was hard, not just because of the bar, but also because of the translation dynamic between founder to PM. Could you share a little bit more about what the challenges are of becoming a PM when you were a founder before? Yeah, absolutely. First thing is like fixing on my resume to be very PM focused. I think the first couple of places I applied to, my resume had a mix of great things I did as a consultant that's strategy related. I also included sales stuff that I did. I had like how I landed like Phil's Coffee or Vita Coco, like these big brands for, for the Shareway. When I was learning about how to break into PM, one of the things I, I learned was your resume sh- should be pretty much 90% about PM skill sets because they're looking to hire a PM and other resumes that these people, hiring managers are looking at are people who have already been PMs, whose resume is like 100% PM. What I had to learn to do was I need to take out like the sales and business development stuff I did and, and just every skill set should reflect a PM skill set or so maybe the sales stuff, it's not, you have to reframe it in a, a, in a PM skill. I had to do that huge cleanup. That was one thing that was important. The other one the item that I learned was you need to find, like not, not let rejections bog you down. I think just as how investors kind of like pattern match people they want to fund, hiring managers also have pattern recognition, right? Maybe they just like to hire people who have been PMs before or people who have worked at these companies previously before coming here. So one thing is to find the right companies. There are going to be a percentage of companies that don't like to hire founders or like they want to hire people who have been a PM in the past. Don't like get hung up on the ones that just like flat out reject you without even getting to know you. Another one that was a challenge was like figuring out how to answer those interviews and giving myself a PM crash course to learn how to talk about my experiences in a way that they will understand. Well, what's interesting is that you mentioned that companies may want to recruit founders and some may not want to recruit founders. I think the converse of that, a founder may be thinking themselves is, what are the biases or why would I be in a good position to apply for a job versus why would people think I'm not a good fit for a job? I'd just love to hear actually a little bit more about that before we go into the tips of that. Yeah. So in terms of what types of companies will be like good fits for ex-founders looking to become PMs, like what I've learned is startups like ex-founders a lot more because if you're a PM at startups, you usually have to wear multiple hats. And as a founder, you've done so many things, right? But then if you're really interested in big companies like Google or like Amazon, one angle to approach roles at bigger companies is to look for ones that are looking like where is that you're the PM of a new product or you're the PM responsible for discovering like a, a new market or finding figuring out product market fit for this thing. 
after I got hired at Oscar, my hiring manager and my manager told me that the reason they hired me was because the role I took up was a lot more ambiguous. Like you kind of had to like figure out how to navigate things, not super clear. And they felt like I would be the right fit versus other candidates might feel like very phased out by the ambiguity of it. Mm. They prefer it when there's more ambiguity. So a founder needs to kind of like converge on it and figure it out versus companies that are much more structured and would prefer someone who has much more PM experience already. Absolutely, yeah. What does that mean? So in terms of the language, the interviews, what you need to do differently? Yeah, so I'll give you one example. In this one interview, the interviewer asked me, tell me about your product development process. This was what, like earlier on, I was just learning how to say things correctly in interviews. So I would just have, you know, like I talk to users, figure out what they need, go back and talk to my co-founder, build an MVP really quickly. And then I show it to the users again and get their feedback. And then I imp- we come back and brainstorm again and improve on it and show it to the user. Zero PM vocabulary in there. Now that I've been a PM at Oscar, like how I would answer that question now is first, I would conduct quantitative and qualitative research about what the user's needs are. Quantitative, I could run surveys. Qualitative, I could run like moderated interviews to understand their needs. From there, I will draft up the key takeaways and the learnings. And if I want my team to be super involved, I can host a sprint group brainstorm where I can collect ideas from my whole team of engineers and designers on what the solution should be. Then we will figure out our direction. And as a PM, I will write the product requirements spec and then share that with the engineers to get their feedback and iterate on the product requirements until it's final. And once it's final, work with the tech leads to break it into multiple sprints to see how long it would take. And once that is in build, working with product marketing to figure out how to launch it and set the correct metrics on how we would measure success, work with data scientists to figure out what those metrics are and to tag the analytic events correctly. And then once it it launches, gather feedback to see if we met our success metric. It's like so different than what I just said, the first version. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a huge difference. I think that's also a huge hurdle, right, for a lot of founders to make the transition from language system A to language system B. How should they go about learning it? I guess one of them is buying your book, (laughs) Founder to PM. Yeah. You want to share a little bit more about why you wrote that and why it covers? Yeah, so, so I wrote that book because I realized, like, as a founder you've done a lot of what PMs have done. You're 90% there. You just need to spend 10 more percent to package yourself. It's like totally doable and totally possible. And and I, I wrote this book because I want to give founders this confidence that they can do it and that they've, they've done the, the work of what a PM does. So this book is essentially my tips on like, how do you package yourself? How do you get there? So the sections in the book are one, like get your resume right. So I have a few tips about what are some keywords to use, how to structure your resume and whatnot. The second section is like finding the right company. So like this is stuff I've learned about which companies tend to be the right fit. And then the third section is about how do you land the interviews. So like this is about hustling, about referrals, about how to just get that foot in the door. And then this last section is how to prepare for your interview. So this one, I talk about giving yourself a PM crash course, 
learning how to answer these questions. Like that example, I, I gave that example in my book about how to answer that question. So there are like a couple more like key questions where I share with you like the before and the after. So you could kind of see how I reframed my experience to sound in a way that's much more PME. So I wrote this book because I really want to help other founders. And in terms of how to give yourself a a product crash course, I I shared this in there. There are several books inspired by Marty Kagan. Cracking the PM interview is another good one. Sprint, I think from people at Google and lots of product videos online that you can watch. And I also went to product events where like product leaders will talk about how they do certain things. And those events are great because you you learn how they talk about things and what are the words that they use. Amazing. When you think about that transition, what's interesting for me is time flies. (laughs) So you've made a transition, you became a PM. What was it like when you became a PM? So you successfully closed the PM role, you got the job. How do you feel to have that offer? Let's start with that. It felt really good. Um, I, I think I got a few and the Oscar one ended up being the, the best one. And I think once I, I got one from before, which I didn't take. So the first one you get, it'll give you a boost of like confidence. Okay, if I can get this one, it, it means I'm on the right track. I can probably get something else. When I eventually got the Oscar offer, I was super excited because a pretty well-known company in, in New York in the digital health space the pay was pretty good. Like like that felt so good. I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is crazy. I'm gonna go from making barely anything to like this amount. So their office is cool, having colleagues. Like another thing about being a founder, it's a pretty lonely process. You're you're pretty much on your own or with a co-founder until you hire employees. So I was very excited about entering into this work context again where I'm gonna have colleagues and you go for coffee walks and whatnot, you know. So I was feeling really good. I'm super excited. When you started that process, you know, time flies since then. So like, you know, a year and everything. And then one thing is that I think your past company, obviously you learn about how the past company is with a different eye. So it's very like, they call it Adlerian psychology. It's like, not, it's not cause or effect, but human psychology. Where you are today changes how you perceive the past. Now that you've become a PM with some experience, how did your view of your startup change as a result of your experience as a PM at Oscar Health? Yeah, <laughs> I think one of the first things was like, oh my gosh, my I, I gave my tech leads pretty bad requirements as a founder because <laughs> I would just very, oh, th- this is roughly what they need. But it wasn't like super detail-oriented, like... I didn't call out edge cases, right? I was like, user needs to be like, able to log in. So what error message do you show if they enter the wrong password? What error message do you show if they enter the an email address that's not in our database? I like rarely share these type of edge cases and being at Oscar because there are a lot more users using your product. You have to design for like multiple endpoints, right? If things doesn't work or if this user has like, it's a, mom and their kids on the plan, right? Let's talk about how does, how do like multi-family log into certain things. I think in, in hindsight, I, I learned so much about how I could have done product even better at the Shareway from working at Oscar. The same thing goes the other way direction, you know, like I was surprised by several things at Oscar that was so hard to do, that was super easy at the Shareway. Do you have any examples of what that is, yeah. Yes, I thought I could just go into work, 
so my I own the provider portal which doctor offices use to interact with Oscar. So I thought like, okay, it's gonna be like the share way. If I need to figure out what customers need, I just go and call them or I email them and I, I, I go to their office and I ask them. But at Oscar, I learned that I have to work with marketing to schedule user research studies. I have to get legal to approve incentives to give people gift cards. PMs don't just walk outside and, and go to people's offices to, to ask them questions. To gather research, like user insights, I, it's like a four to six week process, sometimes even longer, which I was like very surprised. Like I, I didn't expect that. That was something I was very surprised by. Yeah, things move a lot slower when you're not the founder and uh, <laughs> making the call there. On that note, could you share about time when you personally were brave? I was in San Francisco and I, I moved to New York because my, my partner was in New York City. So I moved to the new city and also at the same time was switching careers. When you switch careers, usually you need to lean on your network a lot more, right? So like it would have been much easier for me to switch into PM and, and SF because I have a big network there. So it's about switching career and moving to a new city at the same time and like winding down my business. I felt like it was a lot of big changes all at once. New city, new gig, winding down another gig. That wasn't just a gig, that was like your business. So at that time, I think I just had to put on my game face and hustle. I didn't only contact my like second connectors, only first connectors. I asked a first connector to connect me to a second connector who then referred me to their companies. You know, it's like a weak tie, but... I did everything I could to get intros and to get referrals. And I think the brave part was just taking all of these changes on all at once and believing that like, you can go through with it. That makes a lot of sense. I think that's interesting because you had to shift cities and obviously you, know, you had a partner involved in a decision as well. Can you show everyone some of the reality of that, the texture behind that? I think you know, like lots of ups and downs. Some days you you feel really good, right? You got someone to intro you to a company. And then some days you get a ton of rejections and you, you question like, can I really do this? Maybe I should move back and do this in San Francisco or maybe I shouldn't be a PM. Never reach a point where I, I gave up or, or didn't go forward. I think thing was always moving more positively rather than a, a ton of negatives. And I think one thing I was very mindful of was Every interview I messed up on, I would call a PM friend and ask him or her, like, how would you have answered this question? So that every interview I was, I was improving. I didn't take the first couple of rejections as in like I wasn't good enough. I just took them as a learning opportunity. And the most important part is, is to improve. So I, I asked people for feedback and I asked what they would have done. So it was just moving positively. I ended up, I think, landing a gig in probably like eight or 10 weeks. It was within my time. I got it before December. So it was within a time frame that I gave myself. It wasn't like I went over and had to rethink my strategy. When that move happened, obviously you mentioned that you had a partner as well. How was your partner involved in all these decisions? Good and the bad, yeah. He was so supportive. So he was going to grad school here. So he let me stay at his place, which was so helpful because I was a little on runway and I was looking for a new gig. He like didn't give me like, you only stay here for two weeks. He didn't give me like a time box or anything. You know, it was just like being supportive about helping me find a gig. 
And then when I was winding down the show, I was crying and the, he was one of the person I, I, I called the most when I was feeling down. So that was so helpful. So super, super supportive partner. Awesome. Well, on that note, I'd love to kind of like paraphrase, I think, the three big themes that I've got from this conversation. The first thank you so much is sharing, I think, the founder, the PM journey. So why did you decide to be a founder? What was it like as a founder? What was it like to decide to kind of like phase down the startup? What was it like to grieve and talk about the transition to a PM, how you got prepared, how you became a PM, and what you learned as a PM, both the good and the bad, versus being a startup founder. So I love that whole transition and walked through. So that was really helpful. The second thank you so much is sharing what I call the grief time box and how you went through that on a personal experience, but also having the time box that in a very deliberate and structured way in order to be reflective, obviously, of the actual runway, but also of the reality of the world that you had to handle. Lastly, I think thank you so much for sharing that professional advice around how to structurally change the way you change your language, but also your approach and your resume and your interview process so that you're actually able to make that leap from the founder to a non-founder role and in within that context of non-founder roles to be a PM. So uh, thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge with everybody today. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. And thank you for asking so many thoughtful questions. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share this episode with friends and colleagues. Sign up at www.jeremyow.com to discuss this episode with other community members in our forum. Stay well and stay brave. Thank you.